Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Sunday Morning Message. Today, Pastor Reed Johnson brings a message entitled, The Illusion of Me. In this message, we will dive into Luke's Gospel and learn the importance of being who we truly are and not the false illusion we portray. And now, Pastor Reed. The Vacation Bible School was a couple of weeks ago. And Pastor Brandon, our children's pastor, heard through the grapevine that I have done illusions for a long time. You have to call them illusions in church. You say magic in church, and people get a little nervous. Like, well, magic? What did you say magic? Uh, but, but I do magic tricks, illusions. I've been doing them for almost, almost 23 years. And so he heard I did magic or I did illusions, so he said, would you do some illusions for the kids? And so we did this big illusion show, magic show for the kids. We had a great time. And uh, today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do an illusion for you. How about that? All right, I'm going to do some illusion this morning. I need a volunteer to help me, though. And to find that volunteer, I'm going to throw this brick. Don't worry, it's a phone brick. So when it comes to you, I want you to catch it. Okay, I'm just going to turn around. I don't want this to be planned. I don't want to pick out somebody. It's much more impressive. It's a little more random. So if it comes to you, I want you to catch it. Again, it won't hurt you. All right, here it comes. All right, who got it? Okay, now, here's what I want you to do. Hang on, hang on. Here's what I want you to do, just to make sure we didn't plan this. I want you to throw it in any direction. You can throw it this way, you can throw it this way, you can throw it this way. So in any direction, don't really plan where you're throwing it to. Just throw it randomly in any direction you want to throw it to. All right, beautiful. Beautiful. What's your name? What is it? Felicia. Felicia. Give it up for Felicia, my helper. You can stay right there. All right, Felicia. I have a... Uh, this is a whiteboard, nothing special about it. I've got some electrical tape to kind of divide up the whiteboard. Felicia, here's what I want to do. I want to do a, a magic trick or an illusion with, uh, with numbers. Okay, I like numbers. I love math. Uh, I, want, I, want, I want you to think of a number, a two-digit number, and I want to do a higher number because it's much more impressive with a higher number. So I want you to think of a number between the numbers 34 and 99. So more than 33, 34 and 99. Any number between 34 and 99, two-digit number. You got it? All right, what is it? What is it? 97. You sure you want 97? You can change. You sure? She's thinking really hard about it. All right, 97. 97. Okay, does someone on the front row have a, um, a stopwatch, maybe a phone with a stopwatch on it? Does somebody have that? <laughs> Who's got it? All right, okay, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to try to do something really impressive with the number 97 in 33 seconds or less. Okay, 33 seconds is the world record. I'm going to try to do it in 33 seconds or less. It's really, really tough. That's a really high number, but I'm glad you chose that number. We're going to try that number. 97, okay, now here's what I want you to do. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to get my mind prepared. And when I say I'm ready, I want you to give me a countdown. Go three, two, one, and then start your stopwatch. And then every five seconds, the guy in the first service, he was still asleep. He didn't know how to do this. Uh, every five seconds, I want you to say five, ten, real loud, so everybody can hear you, and I can hear you, so I know where I'm at in the count. I'm going to try to do this in 33 seconds or less, and I'll tell you when to stop it, all right? All right let me get my mind ready here. 97, 97. All right, I'm ready. I'm feeling the pressure. What was the time? 28.6. I set a new world record. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I want to see what I did. All right. 
So the number 97, there's no way we could have planned that, right? I, I, we didn't plan that number. Okay, you just gave me that number. With the number 97, let me show you what I've done with the number 97. Okay, 21 plus 16 is 37, plus 37 is 74, plus 23 is 97. 26 plus 34 is 60, plus 17 is 77, plus 20 is 97. 15 plus 22 is 37, plus, we'll go over here, 36, 73 plus 24 is 97. 35 plus 25 is 60, plus 19 is 79, plus 18 is 97. Horizontally, everything adds up to 97 in 28 seconds. But wait, I'm not done. 21 plus 26 is 47, plus 15 is 62, plus 35 is 97. 16 plus 34 is 50, plus 22 is 72, plus 25 is 97. 37 plus 17 is 54, plus 24 is 78, plus 19, you guessed it, 97. 23 plus 20 is 43, plus 36 is 79, plus 18 is 97. Horizontally and vertically, everything adds up to 97 in 28 seconds. But wait, I'm not done. I'm going to show you over here. 21 plus 34 is 55, plus 24 is 79, plus 18 is 97. 23 plus 17 is uh, 40, plus 22 is 62, plus 35 is 97. Horizontally, vertically, and diagonally, everything adds up to 97 in 28 seconds. But wait, I'm not done. You take the middle four numbers, 34 plus 17. You can do the math later. 51, 24, that's 75, 22, it's 97. These two and 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 these two. There's over 75 different combinations that add up to 97 in 28.6 seconds. Now you may applaud. <laughs> now, Contrary to popular belief, I'm not a genius, okay? <laughs> I like math, and it takes a little bit of math and to know that. But there's a trick. There's a trick behind every illusion. You go see an illusionist, and, and, and you think, wow, how do they do that? That looks almost miraculous. It's not miraculous. There's a trick behind every single illusion. There's smoke, or, or there's a black curtain that's hiding things, or there's mirrors, or sometimes you're like, how did that woman get over there? She didn't. It was her twin that's over there i mean there's 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 things there's stuff behind the scenes that you didn't see that helped me accomplish such an amazing feat that's how illusions work well this morning we're going to talk about the illusion of me the illusion of you the illusion of us and to do that i want to start off by sharing a story so my two best friends in the whole wide world they've been my best friends for about as long as i've been doing magic for about 23 years uh, Caleb and Brad are with us in service today. Can you give it up for my friends? Wave your hands. These guys, they put up with me for 23 years. Those are good friends. And, uh, and they visited me this weekend. We've been having a great time. And one of my favorite stories involving them took place our sophomore year. So I was, uh, my, my dad, Pastor Johnson's brother, died when I was young. Um, and so my mother raised me. My mother wasn't very athletic, and so we never went snow skiing. But my two really good friends, they snow skied all the time. In fact, that was something they had in common that I was almost envious of. I was like, I want to experience snow skiing, because they'd always come back from a snow ski trip, and they were so positive and so excited about it. It sounded like such a good time. 
So I said, I want to I experience that for myself. So my first opportunity came my sophomore year in high school. My church, my home church, says, we're going to go on a ski trip on spring break. And who wants to go? And I was the first one to sign up. Caleb and Brad also went on the trip. So we get on this bus. We go to Winter Park, Colorado. And we had a wonderful time. We were there for three days. Going to ski for three days. Day one, our youth pastor said, I'm not teaching anybody. I'm not holding anybody's hand. If you've not skied before, you have to, you must, it's a priority, you have to go to ski school. Not, it's mandatory, you've got to go to ski school. So I go to ski school, of course they know how to ski, they're good skiers, so they're off hitting the slopes, and I'm in ski school. And, and what's funny, they may have changed it since then, but it was everybody under 18 was in one group. So it's me, I'm 16 at the time, and a bunch of three and four year olds, and we're at ski school together. I'm like, this is just miserable, right? And it was just it was awful. I, there was, I didn't learn anything. We were on like a four-degree grade. We were like, woo! <laughs> I mean, we're literally not skiing at all. But the one thing I remember that they taught us, they said, if you get to go in too fast, and this is not even the right way to stop, but I guess it's how they teach children, and now they were teaching me. They said, if you get going too fast, what you can do is you can take your skis and you can point them together, and you can create a pizza. And that will help you to stop or slow down. And so he said, everybody try that and say pizza. And so I'm like, like, you didn't say pizza. Pizza. You know, I mean, it's just, it was just silly. It was childish. I'm like, okay, whatever. So I, I got that down. Well, that took up the majority of the day. And I don't, I don't remember actually getting to ski. I didn't ski that first day. And we had three days. So our youth pastor said, let's go back and we'll pick it up tomorrow with fresh legs. So that night we were staying at like this condo. And there was this community pool and hot tub at the condo. So Brad was swimming in the pool, and Caleb and I were in the hot tub. We were just enjoying, having fun, talking, and laughing. And the two most beautiful snow bunnies I'd ever seen came and sat down in the water with us. And Caleb and I were like kicking each other under the water, you know. And their names were Hannah and Jana. I couldn't make that up if I tried. They weren't sisters. They were friends to each other, much like Caleb and Brad and I were. And so Hannah and Jana, they're talking to us, and we're like, where y'all from? I think they were from Colorado Springs, if memory serves. They were there on spring break as well. And they said, where are y'all from? We said, we're from Texas. Oh, Texas. Oh. And we started talking about Texas and Texas football. And, and they said, and I said, well, you like football. Well, we, we're football players. And uh, yes, ma'am. And I said, I, I'm, I'm the quarterback of our team. Uh, we went to state last year. We didn't win. But we went to state, and Caleb was my star receiver, and he's got all these Division I schools looking at him. And, he's just, and we're both like recalling just stories that we've seen on TV. Neither one of us play football. We're golfers, okay? <laughs> Neither one of us don't. We don't play football. But these girls like football, so we play football today. So we're talking about, like, oh, yeah, we're going to go to college, play golf scholarships. And they're just becoming more and more smitten with each lie that comes off our lips. Just like, oh. And I'm kind of digging Hannah, and Caleb's kind of digging Janet. It was just working out really well, and they were digging us. And so uh, one of them says, I bet you're pretty good skiers, too. And Caleb's like, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so Hannah says, why don't we all ski together? And Janet says, it's a great idea. And Caleb says, it's a great idea. I'm like, yeah. I got pizza. I know how to do that. I can stop. So we agree to ski. Well, Brad's like totally oblivious to all this. But we fill Brad in. We're like, all right, we're going to go ski with these girls tomorrow. So we meet them. It's like 9 in the morning. We're, we're, they got on their, their snow jackets. They look, they look gorgeous. And I look the part. I look really good at the bottom of that slope. I'm looking the part. I'm talking the part. I'm acting the game. I got this all down pat. We're walking over, and I got my skis on. We're walking over to the ski slopes to the, to the lift. I've never been on a lift before. I've never even been on a lift before. 
And so Caleb's trying to give me like some pointers, and Brad, like, they're trying to help me. And if I remember correctly, it was Hannah and Jana, they went up first. And I'm like, well, how do I? And he's like, it's just really easy. You sit down. I'm just kind of watching Caleb and Brad and seeing how they're doing it. And I sit down. So we're going up, and he's kind of giving me some lessons. I said, what happens at the top of the ski lift? And he said, it's real easy. You'll come. You'll see the snow comes up, and then you just ski off. I said, there's one problem. I don't ski. So how am I going to ski off? I don't know how to ski. And he's, they're both, they're, Brad, they're both being really encouraging. Well, you, you know, you'll be fine. Just keep your legs shoulder width apart. Okay, all right. So we get to the top of that thing. I didn't make it three feet. And I fall, and I, I don't, they had to stop the lift because there's people backed up behind me, and it's going to just falling over me. It was a mess. And so, and Hannah and Jenner, they don't even know what's going on. They come over, they think, I'm like, yeah, there was a stick or something I hit on back there. I'm that's lying still. So we all get up. I think we took a picture, you know. And so we start skiing. Well, Brad and Caleb and Jana, they're just flying down the mountain. And so Hannah kind of looks at me, and I say, here we go. So we start, I start skiing, and everything's going great. I'm feeling good. Everything's going good. So we're, we're, I'm skiing, and then I'm going a little faster than I'm comfortable with. And mind you, they have green, which is beginner, you know. Blue is intermediate, and black is, like, difficult. And we're on a blue. Okay, my first one. Let's do a blue. Why not? It's intermediate, right? So we're skiing in this blue, and, and uh, I'm getting really nervous because we're going too fast. So I'm like, I'm going to do pizza. So I did the pizza, but I didn't stop. I didn't slow down. So I'm like, pizza, pizza. You know, like, <laughs> I'm just trying to stop this, uh, this wreck. And then I did this. If you've ever skied, don't do that, all right? Y'all, like my ski flew off my body. My pole went this way. My gloves, there were small children riding by laughing at me, pointing fingers at me. I looked like a joker rolling down that mountain, just covered in snow. You know, better skiers come and spraying me with snow. I'm just, I'm covered. And I remember, I kind of like leveled out of the plateau where, where it, 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 I remember looking up at Hannah and Jana, and they were all standing there. And I was just, I was just really, really embarrassed. Because the truth about me had been exposed. I talked a pretty big game at the bottom of the slopes, right? I acted the part, I looked the part, but I wasn't a good skier. I wasn't a very good golfer. And here I am, and, and, and the truth was exposed. What's interesting is everybody in here, in our past and or our present, we project an image. We play a part. We create an illusion that is inconsistent with the truth of what's really going on. We do. We create this falsified front of here's what I am when it's not true. It's inconsistent with the truth of what's really going on inside. And I don't know why we do that. We do that with, with our finances, right? Everything looks good. Got my nice car. Got the nice house. In reality, you should be visiting Brother Ted's Financial Peace University class because you're, you're drowning in credit card debt. You don't have financial freedom. You're in trouble. But you have this illusion that everything's good financially. You're doing good. We do it with our marriages. That drives me crazy. How y'all doing? Good. How are you really doing? Oh, no, we're good. When you know you're not good, your marriage is on the brink of disaster. And we'll do it with our neighbors. We'll do it with our coworkers. We'll do it with our classmates. We'll do it with our teammates. We'll do it with our church-going friends. We do it all the time. We put on this false front, we project an image, we create an illusion that is inconsistent with the truth of what's really going on. So the question is why? Why do we do that? Why do we, do, why do we have this illusion of us? A couple of thoughts. One, 
I think it has to do with piggybacking what Mitch was talking Pastor Mitch was talking about on Wednesday night. It's the comparison trap. If you weren't here on Wednesday, you missed out. You missed out. You need to go online and listen to our podcast. But you can follow up. The, the last part of that sermon series is going to be this Wednesday. It's incredible. But the comparison trap, we live in the land of Ur, right? We want to be bet Ur. We want to be happy Ur. We want to be skinny Ur. We want to be smart Ur. We want to be fast Ur. And so we'll put on this illusion so people will think more highly of ourselves than they ought to. I think that's part of the thought. I think part of the thought is, well, I'd rather just ignore the past than dig through it because if I own up to the real me, that's going to be some difficult conversations and I don't want to have difficult conversations. But that's not even the most dangerous part. The most dangerous part is you can miss out on one of the central truths of why Jesus Christ came to the world in the beginning in the first place. You can miss out on why Jesus Christ came to the world to die on a cross for you and for me. If we don't get this, we have to get this illusion. And to lead us this morning, we're going to look at the antithesis of an illusionist. We're going to look at a woman who uh, had a reputation for being having some issues. She knew she had issues. The community around her knew she had issues. Jesus, we're going to find out in a minute, knew she had issues. But she said, hey, here's the real me. And in exposing herself... She leads us to one of the central truths of why Jesus Christ came in the first place. Before we begin today, before we begin, I just want to pose this question. Are you going to be able today to have the boldness and the bravery as this woman did to say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm going to confess the real me. I'm going to share what's really going on because I know that I need help. I know I need a Savior. I still need a Savior. And if we'll do that, we'll be a candidate for Jesus' powerful presence in our lives. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. We'll have it on the screens for you. You can follow on. You can also follow along on your YouVersion Bible app. It's a great app. You can read the Bible. And uh, Luke 7 is where we'll begin in verse 36. Begins like this, says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Okay, so this Pharisee, we're going to find out later, is his name Simon, and Simon is a Pharisee, he's a respected religious leader. And then you have Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God. So you have a respected religious leader, a holy son of God, and they're eating dinner. I love this. What I see about Jesus almost, I, I can't find a time in Scripture where he's invited to someone's house for dinner and he doesn't accept the invitation. I love that. So he's going to go. He's going to have dinner with Simon. So you have this respected religious leader, the holy son of God, and we're about to in- introduce ourselves to the third character in the story, verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Okay, so here's a woman. Luke doesn't even tell us her her name. We don't even know this this lady's name, but we do know she lived a sinful life. Now, everybody in the house today, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3 tells us. Everybody in here makes mistakes. This woman, her reputation for mistakes and for sin preceded her as she went through the community. She had a reputation for being sinful. She was this one that people would stand with their arms folded saying, Have you heard the latest? Did you hear what she did last? This is a lady who had a sinful past and it was such baggage that that was her identity. She had an identity of sinfulness. I don't know if you remember that Sesame Street song that said, one of these things is not like the others. One of these things just doesn't belong. And you had an apple and an orange and a tennis racket. She's the tennis racket, okay? Religious leader, son of God, tennis racket, right? Sinful. She's not supposed to be there. 
And I don't know if you've ever had a guest that wasn't supposed to be at dinner, like an uninvited guest. There's just tension in the room. It's just awkward, right? When you have somebody that's not supposed to be there, you're like, okay, this is weird. This is awkward. Several Thanksgivings ago, my grandparents, who are now both deceased, my grandparents were were visiting us. I want to say it was on Thanksgiving Day. It may not have been, but I want to say it was Thanksgiving Day. And the Schwann's man, Schwann's is like a delivery service for, for frozen foods. It's like UPS for frozen foods. And he came to deliver to my sister's house. And instead of just delivering the goods, he walks in and he sits down at the table and carries on a conversation with my sister. And this goes on for probably three or four minutes. And we're, I mean, we got the turkey spread and the cranberry sauce and the, the dressing. It's Thanksgiving, and he's having a conversation about the weather. And my granddad, if you, know, if you knew my granddad, Pastor Johnson's father, uh, <laughs> he, was just, he was trying to create, like, alleviate the tension, and he says, well, why don't you make a plate? You know, it's like, get out of here. I mean, that's his code for, dude, wake up, right? It's weird. If there's an uninvited guest, it's weird. Now, it wasn't all that uncommon back in Jesus' day. A lot of times you would have people that would come to a dinner party, and they would stand in the shadows along the walls. They could not participate in the meal. They could not participate in the conversation. But they could eavesdrop. They could listen in. And they were uninvited. But that was a little bit more common in Jesus' day than it is today. But still, it's awkward. But she didn't stay in the shadow. As we're going to read in just a minute, she comes out of the shadow. And in doing so, she lands in the pages of history. Let's keep going. Verse 38. As she stood behind him, him being Jesus, at his feet weeping... She began to wet his feet with her tears. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever cried so much that you wet somebody else. That's, that's pretty. I mean, this is not like some little. This is like a deep, soulful sob. Like she's crying so much. Jesus' feet are because there's a pool, a puddle that's forming over Jesus. I mean, she's crying so much that Jesus' feet are now being wet with her tears. Why is she crying? I don't know. It could be because there's, there's pain and regret and the sin and remorse that comes with all of that. But I think there was more to it because look at the rest of verse 38. It says, Then she wiped them, being her tears, with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And in this exchange, we see one of the most beautiful, extravagant, poignant scenes of worship in the entire Bible. Because here's a woman who was in the shadows... And she exposed herself. She knew who she was. And now she's exposing herself to Jesus and saying, here's who I am. And she's crying. And she's wiping his feet with her hair. And then she pours perfume, a very expensive thing at the time, all over Jesus' feet. Adorns his feet. It's it's a beautiful picture of worship. And as she exchanges her honesty, her transparency with Jesus, he meets that with grace. He meets her courage with unconditional love. He meets her boldness with forgiveness. And she is the one that leads us to one of the central truths of why Jesus came in the first place. Jesus came not for the fake you, not for the illusion of you, not for the illusion of me. He came for the real you, the true you. He died for you in all your mistakes, in all your sinfulness. He died for your brokenness. He died for your wickedness. He died for you. 1 Timothy 1.15 says Jesus Christ came to the world for really good people. No, that's not what it says. It says, Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners. He came to save sinners. Here's this woman who says, hey, I'm a sinner. And she's weeping and she's giving this beautiful act of worship all over Jesus' feet and worshiping. And and we're going to find out later, she's kissing his feet, looking for grace. And he exchanges that with grace and with mercy and with forgiveness. It's beautiful. The scriptures pound this 
over and over, by the way, Paul says it probably better than anybody else. He says, in those broken places in our lives, the gospel of Jesus Christ is unleashed. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, when I am weak, I am strong. I have been strong in Jesus Christ. It's in our weakness that Christ makes us strong. It's okay to be real. The reality is everybody in here needs a Savior and everybody in here needs the cross, needs the resurrection of the tomb. We all need that. Because the, re- the, the fake you and me, we're doing okay, aren't we? I got all my stuff together, all my ducks in a row, I'm good. The real you and me, we got issues. We need Jesus. If we miss this church, if we miss this, this Bible becomes just another book with words. And Jesus becomes a distant historical figure. We have to get this. Jesus died for the real you. So practically, how do we, how do we land this? How do we land practically what do we do there's three options the first two is what most people choose and they just don't work but i'll share them with you anyway the first option is you can just deny you have a problem just deny it or you can play the comparison trap and you can start comparing yourself to other people and saying well at least i'm not as bad as she is at least i'm not as bad as he is i'm doing all right and you deny you have a problem in the first place let me just say if you have anything in your life that's deterring you from becoming the man or woman that god is calling you to be That's a big issue to God. If you have anything that's deterring you from being that person that God is calling you to be, that is a big issue to God. So we can't deny it. The second option is we can just self-destruct in secrecy. Just beat ourselves up. Oh, why am I so, ah, just keep making the same mistake and the same mistake. Why do I keep struggling with this? And you just beat yourself up. That's exhausting. I've been there. It's not fun. You just beat yourself up and beat yourself up. And Jesus didn't want us to fight this stuff alone. That's not his plan. So you have option number three, which is what the woman led us through, which we come out of the shadows and into the light and expose the true us and say, Jesus, here I am. Heal me. Make me new. Forgive me. May your kindness lead me to repentance. I need you. That's where we have to be. I don't think it's fair for me to talk about all this and not talk about my own struggles. I've got a lot of struggles. If I shared all my struggles, you wouldn't get out of here till tomorrow. But I'll share a few. One of them, uh, Mitch and I were talking this week about just writing books. Um, several years ago, I wanted to write a book. And I'm slowly <laughs> working on that book. But I've had to change it several times. And the reason is, the, the first time I was writing a book, it was because I go to these conferences, these big Christian conferences, and they would bring up a speaker and they would say, Here's the, he's a pastor at so-and-so church and an author. And I'm going, everybody was an author. I'm like, well, I guess... For me to get known, i got to be an author, right? It was a pride thing. I wanted, I wanted, it wasn't so I could write a book that would bring people hope or help. It was so I could become famous, right? That's why I wanted to write a book. So I started working with pride, and God started dealing with me on that, and going, I don't really care if anybody reads this book. If it helps one person, it's worth it. So he's slowly morphing me, but I'm not completely erased that in my life. So pride was a big issue for me. Balance is a huge thing I'm, I'm wrestling with still. I... You know, for me, trying to, trying to balance my relationship with the Lord, my relationship with my family, my relationship with my friends, my work for the Lord. See, in, in ministry, this is really hard. You have the relationship with God and your work for God. And so many times we try to connect those two and they're not the same. My work for God comes down to like four or five on the priority chart. My relationship with God is the foremost thing in my life. But what I'll do is I'll study the Word because I'm going to preach today. So I'll study the Word and I'll go, well, I guess I've studied the Word enough today. I've, I've, I've prepared my sermon. No, I was working for the Lord. That wasn't about my relationship with the Lord, and I confused the two. So i got to find balance. That's something else I'm really struggling with. The last thing I'll share with you, you know, I've given up a lot of anger. Uh, I used to have, my my father has some fun stories. He had a temper, and I've let that temper go for the most part. 
And, and, and it's okay to have anger. Uh, anger is, it, righteous anger is all over the Bible. Jesus got angry. But the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. And, and I, I thought I was over, overcome that. And then I get on I-35. I need some more help, okay? <laughs> Don't you come? You know, just, I mean, just, it just, it gets me. It gets me. Amen. I got an amen right there. All right. As we've been talking, has there been anything in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit that the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you on right now? And going, when are you going to deal with this? When are you going to deal with this? If so, you have one of three options today. You can self-deny. You can self-destruct. Or you can expose that stuff and say, listen, Jesus, I need you. I need your help. I need your love. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need the cross all over again. Now, there's a danger not only with being an illusion of ourselves and masking us, but there's another danger that's just as dangerous that we're going to keep reading that we're going to see in verse 39. Keep going. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, talking about Jesus, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. In one sentence, this man, this Pharisee, has dismissed both Jesus and the woman. He's like, well, the woman's just a sinner, and if Jesus were a prophet, he'd know who's touching him, and he wouldn't let her touch him. So in one sentence, he's dismissed both of them with that comment, and Jesus picks up on this. This is a signal to Jesus. Look at verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Jesus is picking up that Simon is self-deceived. This was a big issue back then. It's a big issue still today. And when Jesus picks up that Simon's self-deceived, Jesus kicks into action, and he tells them basically this story, which at first glance, it's kind of perplexing and confusing, and it doesn't make a lot of sense, but you're going to find out in a minute, it's incredibly brilliant. Keep going, verse 41. It says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown. And here's this perplexing statement. It says, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. What? You would imagine the opposite would also be true. Whoever's been forgiven much, loves much. Right? So this woman, she's been forgiven much, she loves much, and here's Simon, this respected religious leader, and he's going, well, I haven't been forgiven much, maybe. I, I don't love much. It, it sounds almost like Jesus is saying to Simon, hey, uh, you know what? You need to go sin a little bit more. You need to be forgiven much, and then you're going to love much. So why don't you just get a dump truck full of sin? Just If it feels good, do it. Go, hey, go to Sin City. You go to Vegas, have a wonderful time. By the way, this is just a little side note. Uh, Vegas slogan 
is if it happens in Vegas, it stays in Vegas. Let me just say, that's not true. If it happens in Vegas, it stays in you. It does. If it happens on Friday night, it stays in you. Don't, don't think that you can sin and just leave that sin right where you left it. It's going to follow you. Believe me, sins are following me from my past that I wish I could detach from. That one's for free. All right. But it sounds like he's saying to Simon, hey, Simon, let's get a dump truck of sin, go sin a whole bunch, and then you come back to me, I'll forgive you much, and then you can love much. That's what it sounds like. But that's contradictory to everything, that, everything else Jesus teaches and everything the Bible teaches. It sounds like Jesus is speaking out of both sides of his mouth, doesn't it? But here's what he's saying. Here's why this is confusing to us and why it's confusing to Simon. His point is not, Simon, go get a dump truck of sin in your life. His point was, Simon, you already have a dump truck of sin in your life. Simon, you're doing something. You're comparing yourself to this woman. And yes, compared to the woman... You're not doing too bad. But we can't play the comparison game. That's the comparison trap that Mitch has been talking about. We can't play the comparison trap with other people. The only standard bearer through which you can compare yourself to is the sinless son of the living God. I am the person you're supposed to be comparing yourself to. Holy and blameless and upright and righteous. I am the one that we, we, that's the one we have to compare ourselves to. If we compare ourselves to other people, that's a trap. It's the comparison trap. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, we're supposed to be like Jesus. If anyone claims to live in Him, we must walk as Jesus did. That's 1 John. We're supposed to look like, walk like, talk like, breathe like Jesus Christ. He is the standard bearer through which all things are processed. We're supposed to, okay, Jesus, I want to be like you. I'm going to compare myself to you. And even right now, just right now, right where you're at, I would love to take 10 seconds for everybody in the house, just for for you to just mentally think about where I am in comparison, not to somebody to the left or right of you, but comparison to Christ. Think about that. I'm going to give you 10 seconds of silence. I want you to think about where you are in comparison to a holy God. How'd you do? What happens is, if we start comparing ourselves to Christ, and our own goodness begins to melt away, doesn't it? You start going, man, I got a long way to go. I've come a long way. I got a long way to go still. We discover our own wickedness. We discover our own brokenness. And here's the thing. Jesus could do this. Jesus could treat us as Simon treated the woman. He could dismiss us and say, I can't believe you do that. I can't believe you do that. I can't believe you do that. I want no part of you, but that's not the invitation that Jesus gives you and I today. Jesus says, hey, your sin, I dealt with it on the cross. I love you. I give you kindness and forgiveness and mercy and grace. I give that to you. I want to give you freedom. It is for freedom that I have set you free. That's what he's telling us today. And when we discover the truth about ourselves and we discover the truth about Jesus, then we discover the truth that sets us free, sets us free from addiction, sets us free from dysfunction, sets us free from wickedness, sets us free. Randy, come help me. I want to speak just for a minute to the Christians in the room, people that, that call themselves Christ followers, disciples of Jesus. And there's a lot of you in the room. I'm honored to call you brothers and sisters. But here's the danger. Here's the trap. If we're not careful... 
we know that we're not judged by our own goodness. We know that, okay? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. This is a gift from God. It's not by works, so no one can boast. So I can't one day get to heaven and say, Well, God, I earned this. I did a bunch of good deeds. I was a good person. I, I can't boast in my own works. I only boast in the works of Christ. And we know that. But if we're not careful... We can become self-deceived just like Simon was. And we start comparing ourselves to other people as opposed to the risen Savior. We can fall prey to the illusion of our own goodness and con ourselves into believing that we're not in a desperate situation apart from Christ. Here's something I've noticed. I've been doing ministry for half my life this year. Here's something I've noticed. The longer that people typically, the longer that people have a relationship with Jesus, the less desperate they become for Jesus. I don't know why that is. I've just noticed that. The more, the longer someone's in a relationship with Jesus, the less desperate they become for Jesus. I don't know why that is. We start comparing ourselves to other people saying, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm doing pretty good. And it's a slippery, slippery slope. It's what Simon fell into. We, we self-deceive ourselves. Let me ask you a question. Who's more desperate in this story, Simon or the woman? The answer is both of them are desperate. Both of them need Jesus. Who's more desperate, you, me, or, or, or the, the prostitute that's hanging down on the street corner downtown? We all are. We all need Jesus. We're all desperate for him. And a really good gauge for you to figure out, are, am I still have a heart for the Lord, is, is your gratitude. And your gratitude is expressed through worship. When you worship, do you get excited about it? Do you get pumped about it? Man, I'm just so excited to worship you. I've been a follower of you for... 25 years, but I love you. I love you like the first day that you saved me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the cross. I still need the cross today more than I did 25 years ago. I need the cross every day. The cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger for me because I continue to sin. I continue to blow it. I continue to make mistakes, but you continue to love and you continue to forgive and you continue to love me. Unconditional love. Are you as desperate now for Jesus as you were when you first trusted him as Lord? This is what God says to close the story out, verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? We weren't piecing that all together yet. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith saves you. And everybody in here needs salvation still needs salvation. We're just as desperate for Christ today as we were the first day we met him. We need him. I think it'd be poor judgment on my part if I didn't give you an opportunity to respond. Right? There's some people in here that are hiding behind an illusion. You're projecting an image. You're playing a part. You play it really, really well. Pastor Johnson said, I think it was a week or, week or two ago, he, he quoted Revelation 3 when Jesus is talking to the church at Sardis and he says, you have a reputation for being alive. Telling a church this. You have a reputation for being alive, but I know your deeds. I know you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains before it's lost. I don't want to have a reputation for being alive. I don't, I don't want to have everybody fooled. They go, man, Reed was a really good Christian, and I'm in hell going, <laughs> well, they think I'm in heaven. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't care what any of you think of me. And I know that sounds harsh. I only care what Jesus Christ thinks of me. So I don't want to put on this false front anymore. I'm tired of the illusion. I'm tired of, 
I'm so tired of, 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 of couples. One of the things I do a lot here is I do a lot of marriage counseling. I love marriages. If you have a marriage, I will fight for your marriage. If you have this much fight in you, I will fight with you. I will partner with you, and we will get you back not just to survive but to thrive. I love marriages. But what's so frustrating is so many people hit my doors when, when it's, it's, it's over, proverbially, proverbially, it's over. We've got divorce papers signed and filed, and it's like, why didn't you come in six months ago? Why don't we put this illusion up that everything's okay? Let's, let's do it when, when we've got some bumps in the road, not when we're off the other side of the guardrail. We need to expose the true you and me. And say, God, James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. It's for freedom that Christ sets you free. You're not supposed to be in bondage to slavery anymore. You're not. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come. Prayer partners, come. Prayer partners, come. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite all of you that, that you have that burden on your heart. You're like, God, I know. If I'm honest, I've been putting a mask on. I've been playing the part really, really well, but I've got some issues I need to work through. I need somebody to pray through. There's no judgment here because every single one of these people have issues just like you. But there's power in confession, and not, not just saying, I have issues, can you pray for me? But confessing the actual sin, praying for each other so that you'll be healed. And some of you may not want to confess here at, at this, that's okay. Confess to a friend, confess to a spouse, confess to someone that, that's a confidant to you and say, listen, I need you to help me. Some of you guys are struggling with pornography. Quit it, man. Confess that. That may not be something you can confess to your wife. But you need to find a friend that says, hey, would you help me overcome this? Because I'm sick of it. i gotta get, I got to get this out of my life. Confessing that stuff together. There's freedom in that. There's healing in that. I want you to have that so desperately. So I'm going to pray for us, and this is your chance to respond. If you want to just ask for prayer, that's what we're here for. Again, you're going to get no judgment from us. We love you. We want you to find the healing that you desire so desperately. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your love and for your mercy and for your kindness and your forgiveness. That kindness leads us to repentance. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.